Well, we have reached the halfway point in our book of Ecclesiastes, the Journal of Solomon. Uh, by now we have a pretty good idea of Solomon's makeup, you know, the journey that he has been taken, uh, the, the ends that he found, the, the purposelessness that he was finding out of life under the sun. Uh, but in the picture that has been drawn for us of Solomon, there's been something uh, conspicuously absent, if you think about Solomon, and what that is, is wisdom. You will hardly find the use of the word in the first half of this journal that he is writing. I mean, this is surprising, you know, coming from a man whose name seems to be synonymous with wisdom. I mean, how often do we, we say things like, oh, the wisdom of Solomon? Because the wisdom that Solomon had was God-given wisdom. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 11, it says, God said to Solomon, because you had in your mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or life of those who hate you, nor have you asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. So this is a God-given wisdom that he's given, been given, but for the first six chapters of the book, that wisdom is, is, is missing. And what patience is to Job, wisdom is to Solomon. Except, seemingly for a strange segment of time in his life, that he set aside the wisdom he had and tossed restraints to the wind to live out his human desires. Now, maybe he retained his wisdom at that time, but as we talked about earlier, certainly his obedience to it and listening to the wisdom was something that he set aside. Wisdom took back seat to rebellion. Rebellion took control. It grabbed the wheel and jammed the accelerator to the floor, screaming at every personal desire that he had. The man has described for us Solomon he has described for us life under the sun. The reality of what life would be like without God, what life is like without God. And up to this point, that has been his mindset. But from here on, something begins to come into focus. And it's wisdom. The wisdom that has been so conspicuously absent, it begins to show up and to clear up. Solomon by this point, chapter 7, is beginning to round the corner of his journey. Solomon is coming back home. You know, the prodigal son is returning. He still has a long way to go. You might describe him kind of like a, a man who's undergone, uh, you know, anesthesia for surgery, and he's coming out of it, and there's times he's awake, and he goes back and forth and back and forth, but ultimately he is moving in the right direction now. From chapter 7 on, you will begin to notice something returning, and it's the use of the word wisdom. Almost 35 times in these last chapters does he use the word wise or wisdom, where it is almost totally absent in the first part of the book. And perhaps that explains the sudden change that we're going to see in Solomon's writing style. I mean, up to this point, he has mostly used a narrative form of writing. You know, he's, he's writing a journal. It's almost like a diary as he's telling the story about his life and the events and, and his conclusions. But suddenly now he turns to a for, proverbial style of writing where you're going to get brief, crisp, 
simple-sounding truth and statements that offer insight for principles for handling life. So as we read in chapter 7, we're ultimately going to cover 14 verses, but I'll probably lead the, read the first 11 verses right now. Um, as we read those, you're going you're to note the likeness of Solomon's writing to that of the book of Proverbs, uh, because he's kind of adopting that style of writing as he shares uh, his wisdom. So follow along then as I read. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, A good name is better than a good ointment, and day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the songs of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bush under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. And this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosoms of fools. Do not say, why is that that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. So as wisdom returns to Solomon here, It's revealing itself in seven comparative proverbs that are identified by the word better. This is better than that. This is better than that. And I'd like to take each of these proverbs and look at them closely to get a little bit of wisdom from a man who we might say has been away from his wisdom for a long, long time. And the very first uh, proverb that we have here is a good example of how wisdom gets us past the surface, gets us past the immediate of our life, and deals with more depth of use, things that deal with the future. It says in the first part of verse 1, it says a good name is better than a precious ointment. Or some of your translation says a precious perfume. So if we kind of put it in our vernacular today, we would say that a, a good name is better than aqua velva. Or a good name is better than Chanel number no. 5. And we, we can understand that. A good name is certainly to be preferred to that which simply has a pleasant aroma. I mean, a good name is something that is, is, is cared you know, for and will carry on deep into the afterlife rather than something that's just a surface, kind of like a perfume would be for the moment. And, uh, you know, it might be sweet at the moment, but, you know, hours later, you know, you have to put more and more perfume on. People respond to a good name, one that stands for honor and truth and and goodness. If you think about it, much of our media zeroes in on creating a a, a good name. Uh, This stood out to me a few years ago when I had a a cold one winter, and I had to go in and I had to buy some cold medicine. So I go into Walmart, and if you go into Walmart, you have the same experience. Uh, You will find a stand there of cold medicine. 
half of the stand is filled with NyQuil. It costs about $7 for a little bottle of it, and it's six ounces of NyQuil. The other half, right next to it, is a product called Nighttime. That's Walmart's brand, off-brand, of NyQuil. It's about $5, $2 less for getting 10 ounces, four ounces more. Now, if you pick up a bottle of each of those, of Nighttime and of NyQuil, and you read the ingredients and the amounts of the ingredients, you will find that they are the exact same things. The only thing that is different is the name, is the labeling. So the choice should be obvious. For the exact same product, you can get a larger quantity for less money. And then Walmart tries to help you out by putting a sign, you know, right above it or right underneath it. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But it says, why pay more? Well, that's a good point. The answer is because of the name. That's why people will pay more. Because as I look at that stand, just as many bottles of NyQuil are gone as bottles of the nighttime. You know, Walmart knows that people respond to a name. And when you think about cold relief, you think about NyQuil, you think about, you know, Vicks, you know, because their name is synonymous for relief. Matter of fact, one manufacturer puts it like this. It says, quality goes in before the name goes on. You know, they understand the importance of a name. Well, likewise... As quality goes into a life, I mean, over the long haul, a good name begins to emerge. And a good name which brings to mind morality, honesty, you know, hard work, you know, a servant's heart, that is far better than one of external fragrances that just has a moment and it, it, it kind of just disappears and it, it vaporizes. A good name is better than a, a fragrant perfume. The second proverb says, The day of the death is better than the day of one's birth. When we think about that for just a moment. That kind of throws our thinking, doesn't it? I mean, we celebrate birthdays. We mourn funerals. Well, I really think what Solomon is saying is kind of the same thing that Paul did in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. He says, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Yet to remain on in flesh is more necessary for your sake. I mean, you know, Paul was kind of wrestling with this idea, which is, you know, better to be in eternity, to be in heaven, or, or to be here on earth, because, you know, that, that is better for other people. Well, obviously it is to be in eternity. Obviously there's nothing of this world that holds any true grasp and, 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 and long-term meaning to us compared to eternity. Now, we say that as Christians, don't we? We say that very easily. But do you think that is true? Is this true in your life? That things that are eternal, what is coming ahead for you, that hope that we live for, the hope that we give our life to, that there is nothing in, in this world that can compare to that? I mean, that's, what, that's the wisdom that he's sharing here. The day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Why? Because something real, something lasting is going to become if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
You see, wisdom helps you filter the many decisions you have to make, you know, in this present life to prepare for an eternity, to store up for an eternity. And that's, that's kind of what his focus is here. And he kind of builds on this, this, this uh, thought with, with the next two Proverbs. He goes on, he states it almost another way. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, in verse 2. Literally, you could say, a 30-minute stroll through a cemetery will do more to affect your life than spending the whole day at a carnival. You say, well, what kind of counsel is that? Well, it's one of wisdom. When you get beneath the surface of laughter and jokes and frivolity and good times, you find that they have, will be quickly forgotten. How hollow the place of entertainment seem in comparison with eternity, with the things that are going to be waiting ahead for us in, in, in heaven. He goes on, he also says, sorrow is better than laughter. Now let's take a test to prove this. When you are by yourself, you know, whether you're out for a walk, you know, you're sitting in a park by yourself, when you just have some time and you're just sitting there thinking, what type of things seem to, you know, impact your life that come to mind that you're, you wrestle with and that you're really thinking upon? Is it a joke that somebody told you? I mean, you're sitting there all by yourself, you know, thinking, and you just suddenly bust out laughing because you remember a joke? No. It's usually some hardship, some struggle, some difficult time that you're, 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 you're thinking upon, you're wrestling with. When you're by yourself, when you're walking along and, and just considering life, you know, it's, it's not about laughter. You know, it's, it, there's a seriousness about it. And it's amazing how much wisdom we gain when we get a look at life through the back door of reality, through not just the, the joy, but also through the suffering and the pain that has come into our life. And that's what Solomon means in verse 4. He said, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. There are the deep things of life that they're thinking about, things that have an impact on them. The fool, you know, it's all on the surface. It, it, it's all in pleasure. There's a true story that I read about that came during the time of the sinking of the Titanic. There was a frightened woman as she was finding her place in a lifeboat. Um, suddenly, you know, she, she thought of something that she needed. And so, you know, they're loading the boat, but she asked permission, can she run back to her cabin and get what she needs? And they said, well, you've got three minutes before we're going to shove off here. So she ran across the deck. You know, it's already, you know, tilting dangerously. She runs through the casino. Money is spewed out all over the tables, all over the floor. She doesn't stop and pick any of it up. In her stateroom, she pushes aside her, her diamond rings and all of her necklaces. And she reaches to the shelf above her bed and she grabs Three oranges. Three oranges. <coughs> and she returns to the boat. Isn't that incredible? Sixty minutes earlier, she wouldn't have chosen a crate of oranges over the smallest diamond. But death, sorrow, had boarded the Titanic. 
and one blast of its awful breath had transformed all values and showed what was important. Priceless things suddenly became worthless. You know, the, um, and in the, in the moment, she would choose three oranges over a crate of diamonds. You see, that's the wisdom that Solomon's given here because death gives you that kind of wisdom and, and the knowing the brevity of our life and how short time is here. I mean, while you're healthy, you may say that you want to spend your years, you know, your last days just having fun. Well, you know, those who live their lives suffering a terminal illness, it's amazing how they demonstrate a remarkable degree of wisdom in how they spend their time. They're not going to spend their last days in frivolity. They spend their last days in things of value. So the, these, these three proverbs here cu- kind of coupled together, they talk to us about getting past the surface, you know, getting to the eternal things of our lives. The fifth proverb says, it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the songs of a fool. Better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the songs of a fool. We say, what does a fool song sound like? Well, it goes on in verse 6. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. And this, too, is futility. I mean, the song of fools, it's empty. You know, it's just a lot of pop, a lot of pop. There's nothing to it. But hearing the rebuke from a wise man is far better because it will give you wisdom. It will help you grow. So what what do you do in the face of of rebuke? When maybe somebody comes to you and and talks to you maybe about an area that needs concern. I mean, do you listen to them? Do you evaluate what they're saying, you know, and respond accordingly? Or do we have a tendency when someone comes and talks to us that we reject it, we defend ourselves, and we just kind of turn it off? You know, these types of rebukes, they might come from a boss or a foreman, a parent, a coach, a teacher, a, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher. I mean, these words might be hard to swallow, but the results, if you are wise, you can only learn from it. And you can grow from it. So do we listen to rebuke? Do we learn from rebukes? Or do we sing the songs of fools? Sixth in his Proverbs of Wisdom, it says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Verse 8. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. Now that makes sense. I mean, what really matters is the results, not the dreams, not the great claims, not necessarily even the hopes that we had at the beginning. It's not about all of the talk. Unfortunately, we live in a society that's a lot about the claims. It's a lot about the the talks. I mean, at the end of the day, we'll have the whole story. We will have learned the lessons. We'll know the problems. That's why the end of the matter is better to consider than, than all the hype leading up to it. I mean, how many times have you maybe said yourself, oh, I wish I could have just lived that over again. 
I'd, I'd have done it differently if I could go back in time and, 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 and relive those moments. You know, I think about that, and I always have wanted to go back and relive high school so I could be a testimony that I should have been. I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was a sophomore, but uh, I, I lived more, you know, for, for fun and for, you know, my friends and for sports and, you know, wanting to be accepted and, and not living for Christ. Think about the impact I could have had reliving some of the relationships that I had and, and some of the people that I talked to that I didn't share my faith with. What a difference it could have made. You see, that, that, that's perspective that the end of the matter gives us. You know, not while we're going through it at the moment. Solomon's final tidbit of wisdom is, is simply, says in, in the last part of verse 8, it says, patience of spirit is, betterness, is better than the proud of spirit or the haughtiness of spirit. Patience of spirit is better than the proud of spirit. And I don't think there's any proof needed to show that patience is better than, than rashness. I mean, those with wisdom exemplify that patience. It says in verse 9, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosoms of fools. You know, talk about patience. You know, withhold the anger. It doesn't mean that something wasn't done to you necessarily to invoke that anger, but there's patience. If you're acting in haughtiness, if you're acting out of pride, in a rashness, only trouble can come. So we have these seven proverbs. And, and someone may ask, what's so great about wisdom? I mean, you have 31 chapters of, of, of the, in the book of Proverbs that are written. Why should I seek it? Why should we read in the book of Proverbs and, and take these things to our heart? Why do I want to stop a self-satisfied ego trip to turn to wisdom? Because that's what Solomon's doing. He's coming to the end of the line. And he's turning back to wisdom. What's the big deal with wisdom? What's the big deal with following God's way? Well, before Solomon closes this portion of his journal, he tells us two specifics and all important virtues of wisdom. Of why we don't just take these things as some sort of a you know, fortune cookie saying, and oh, that's nice, and we move on. But that these are things that we're supposed to take to heart and live by. He talks about a number of things here of the importance of wisdom. In verse 11 and 12, he says, Wisdom, along with an inheritance, is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessor. Possessor. He's kind of using an analogy there, using the value of wisdom to the value of money in our life. Um, some of your translations might use the word inheritance instead of money. Um, I mean, think about it. I, if you have ever inherited anything, you know, from a parent or a grandparent or uh, some relative, you know, you've inherited an amount of money, um, with it comes benefits. It gives a level of, of security to you. You know, it gives a level of protection, maybe, you know, to get you a little farther ahead or to take care of some of the struggles that you're having in your life. So he's saying, just like getting an inheritance helps, you know, give us security and protection, so are the many proverbs and the wisdoms that we are given. 
Wisdom, like these seven, do the same thing for your person. They give you protection. They help to give you security as a person of of who you are, to not be tossed to and fro by the wind. Wisdom preserves our lives. That's one value of wisdom. The second value is wisdom provides our lives with a divine perspective. We're not talking about a human wisdom here. We're talking about an eternal wisdom here. We're told in verse 13a, it says, Consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. Wisdom provides our lives with divine perspective. You know, this is from God that he's talking about there. You know, and and then he goes on in verse 13, the second part, For who is able to straighten what he has bent? There's some divine wisdom. What God has ordained, who can change it? If God has determined in life, we can fret about it. We can become angry about it. We can resist it. But who can change, you know, what God has determined? Who is able to straighten what he has bent? So that life of yours that you thought it was all planned out and you're going in a direction and suddenly God takes a bend in it? To fight that? You know, to resist God in that? See, that's not wisdom. It gives us that perspective that, that God brings you things. God knows the big picture and is able to bring those things together in our lives. Verse 14, he says, In the day of prosperity, be happy. You know, divine wisdom gives us the ability to have joy. You know, with wisdom comes the ability to have enjoyment, not guilt, to have purpose and meaning and, and appreciation of all the things that God brings in our lives. It goes on, it says, but in the day of adversity, but in the day of adversity, consider that God has made one as well as the other. God has made one as well as the other. You see, that wisdom helps us to step back and not just praise God when things are good and question God when we are going through some human struggles. You know, wisdom can help clear the fog in our relationship and our walk and our obedience to the Lord. Matter of fact, uh, for that Greek word where it says consider, um, it might be translated discover in your Bible, it means to examine, you know, examine for the purpose of evaluation. Wisdom allows us to examine things that come into our life, good and bad, with incredible objectivity to see their their purpose and, and what God wants to do with those things in our life. God's plan for our lives come forth from his wisdom. You know, he leads us in his wisdom. We must then look to that wisdom in decisions that we have to make. James chapter 1, 5 says, But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God wants us to live wise lives. He wants us to understand these things that are going into our life and to have deep thoughts and, and for these things to change our lives. And if you, if, you know, out of the box, if you don't have the wisdom for something going on, ask God. Go to him. Ask him to open your eyes to be able to see things as, as he sees them. God will give, it says, he gives to all men generously and without reproach. It will be given to him. The second thing, we need to look to wisdom regarding our vision. You know, we cannot see the whole picture without drawing from God's wisdom. There's no that way that, 
that we can connect all of the dots in our life. But God can. And the absence of wisdom brings obscurity into our lives and a lot of why, why this is happening. Well, this is the type of wisdom that Solomon is slowly turning back to after his long, long journey away. This is the wisdom that we are exhorted to hold on to, to avoid the the, the type of decisions, the choices, the journeys that Solomon has found himself on. You don't have to stick your head in the garbage can to know it stinks. God can give you the wisdom ahead of time. He can give you the wisdom to know not just the surface, what the hopes that it offers, but the depth of the price that it might exact from your life. Let's pray together. Father God, I I thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us. And not just eternal things, but Father, things for this life. I thank you that, that in your word you guide us and direct us on how to navigate this physical life. Choices to make, values to have. And I pray that you'll help us to to maybe step back, Lord, and allow you to rebuke us in areas maybe that we've let slip and help us to receive those rebukes, Father, and corrections and, and with zeal embrace your truth. I just thank you, God, once again, that, that your wisdom prevails anything that man has. We love you and we thank you, Father, just for being you know, part of communicating this to us here today. We thank you in thy son's name we pray.